millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm Freddie. And I'm Emma. You're listening to the New Statesman podcast. On today's episode, we're looking at the government's response to inflation and the transport workers' strike. And you will ask us, Liz Truss's comments about British workers, have they damaged her chances for the Tory leadership? So I'm joined today by Emma Hasler, who is the New Statesman's Associate Business Editor. Hello, how are you doing? Hey, I'm great. So could you take us through the latest inflation figures? Okay, so we had a bit of a shock on Wednesday when inflation, no one had really expected it to to really rise as much as it did. It hit 10.1%, which is the first time it's been above 10% since 1980. And we have the the highest inflation, the G7, don't we? Yeah, lucky us. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah we do. Bonus prize. Yeah. But no one wants. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes, we do. Higher than anywhere else, really. And that's for a number of reasons, partly to do with our government's energy policy, because places like France have kind of renationalized their energy companies. And that means basically the government's going to absorb energy price rises or partially absorb, which means that their energy, well, energy is not contributing to inflation quite in the same way that it is over here. I also want to ask, some of it's driven by food prices, isn't it? Is that right? So so what's going on there? So basically everything, everything comes down to fuel prices in the end, right? Because to produce food is extremely expensive and it takes an awful lot of energy. So it takes kind of electricity. You've got to put something in your combine harvester and that's fuel. It doesn't help that we've got a massive drought on and that the weather has not been great for farming recently. So that's going to kind of put extra pressures on food prices. But yeah, so there's been a 2.3% increase in the price of food and 2.9% increase in the price of fuel, which obviously pushes up the price of food. In Ukraine, obviously Ukraine is one of the biggest producers of things like wheat, the breadbasket of Europe. And while Russia is kind of now allowing a trickle of ships with grain out, it's never going to be enough to kind of feed the demand that we have. I also wanted to ask just just how much has, has Brexit kind of contributed to this to this difference? Because some of it's down to labour costs and labour shortages, isn't it? Yeah, um, and and obviously 
the, the value of the pound. So it's, we're sort of importing some of our inflation as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, the pound's very low. The cost of importing now is, is going to be a lot more expensive. Some people get very cross when you blame Brexit. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> if it's What's... a contributing factor, it's a contributing factor. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting is that the labour market figures came out on Tuesday did show that migration is beginning slowly to return to the UK. In fact, was it Anoush who said that the UK is beginning to fall back in love with migration? The number of migrants coming to the UK is, is increasing, but most of them are non-EU migrants. And, and obviously, they come with quite complicated visa situations. So it really is a trickle still. But they are beginning to replace those kind of, you know, there was the number of job vacancies actually fell for the first time in ages in the last three months. So that's good news, kind of loosely good news <laughs> for inflation. But it, it's not enough, really, to push stuff down. And Freddie, sort of, what what has the response of the the government been? I mean, I say a government, but we've got kind of a zombie government at the moment, considering we're waiting for a new prime minister. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, there the hasn't been a massive response at all. I think that's been quite noticeable, both in the Tory party contest, but also from the government at the moment, that inflation isn't one of the key features of the debate. What you've seen from Truss's team is to blame the Bank of England. They say, for instance, that the Bank of England should have foreseen uh, these problems long ago and increased interest rates in advance. Bank of England say, well, we didn't predict a war was going to happen in Europe and there's things outside of our control, such as bottlenecks in China and the surge in the energy prices. So they say that that can't be influenced or impacted by interest rates. And then on Sunak's side, he started the campaign talking about inflation a lot. That was his main thing. His message really was, if you have high inflation, it erodes people's livings. And that's the biggest cause of the cost of living crisis. So we need to keep inflation down by having minimal spending or unfunded spending through borrowing. And that's slightly gone out the door. I think they still cling to it a little bit. They, I think they were quite pleased with a IFS report that came out in the past few days saying that to maintain the government's fiscal rules, they couldn't have these unfunded spending commitments, which they took as a slight dig at Truss's team. But they, they've become slightly more loose as I think... Um, Sunak has realised that he needs to up his game in attracting Tory members and his campaign looks ever more imperiled. Yeah, so Emma, I want to ask your expert opinion. What do you think of Liz Truss's threat to change the Bank of England's mandate? Could that threaten to make the economic picture worse? I mean, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because so Gordon Brown made um, the Bank of England independent in... I'm going to say 1997. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. In 1997. Yeah. Yes. And Generally, that's been regarded as a success because they've managed to keep inflation down. You know, one of the the Bank of England's big successes was keeping the outcome of the 2008 crisis as, I mean, it wasn't light at all, but as light as it was, it could have been worse, you know. But this is their, their biggest challenge to date, I think. And I do think it's funny if a minister... We kind of make fun of ministers, right? You know, one day they're minister for education, next minute they're kind of doing farming and fisheries. These people aren't, are really experts in their field. Even chancellors, you know, most of them have a finance background, but monetary policy is different to working at Goldman Sachs, like Rishi Sunak has. To change the Bank of England's mandate so that a minister is essentially put in charge of that seems to me quite foolhardy. Like the point of the the Monetary Policy Committee is that you've got a bunch of people around the table who really know their stuff on monetary policy and on keeping inflation low and on running an economy. 
or managing an economy. So to then reverse what has been generally regarded as a fairly successful policy seems foolhardy. Yeah, I think the main reason that Truss's campaign have done this is they don't want to address the issue, so they've decided to blame the Bank of England. That's yeah. It gives them the freedom to promise more spending, higher tax cuts, and then say, well, actually, it's not our responsibility to keep inflation down, it's the Bank of England's. So as long as they can throw blame on the Bank of England, they can keep promising all these tax cuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the Monetary Policy Committee is a useful, unelected scapegoat, but generally they have proven themselves over and over again as fairly good at their jobs. I mean, there's some things that you can't do much about and a war in Ukraine pushing up inflation is one of those things. Should they have seen kind of a little bit in advance what was going on? Maybe. Maybe they should have raised interest rates a little bit while it's the old uh, George Osborne adage of fix the roof while the sun is shining. Perhaps they should have thought about that a little bit. Yeah, just on that as well, I think one of the main criticisms of the Bank of England that's come out recently is the fact that they kept QE, which is the Bank of England's printing money programme, which injects capital into the economy. They kept that going throughout 21 and they're only going to start to reverse that from next month. Mm-hmm. So that does seem like a a long time coming. So that's one of the main criticisms, but I don't think that's sufficient attention. Yeah, it, it doesn't. You're right. But I would say that is that enough to, to kind of remove the independence of the Bank of England? Mm, not sure. No, it's not at all. But I don't think we can just say they're the only ones that know enough about monetary policy to decide on it. It's a political argument as, you know, economics. I think all economics is political. We can't export it or give responsibility for it to some technocrats. You know, they can also be criticised. Freddie, are you on Liz Truss's side? No, not at all. <laughs> I think it's interesting in, in that, you know, I wonder sort of in a few months' time when, I don't think it's kind of increasingly not a question of if, but when Liz Truss, when Liz Truss wins, if this kind of comes back to bite her, if there is a limit to which you can attack experts when the situation is so very serious as it, as it is right now. Right, I want to talk sort of briefly about a graph that we carried as our graph of the day yesterday, which showed that Labour now has the lead on the economy and the Conservatives have their lead on the economy with voters has consistently dropped since January 2021. Emma, what do you think, what do you think's driving that? I don't know if, how, how closely you follow <laughs> what, what Keir Starmer and Rachel Reeves get up to, but um, do you think they've done a good job? I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because if you kind of take a step back from politics, like the Conservatives are traditionally seen as the party of the economy who know about maths, whereas, you know, Labour is seen as kind of frittering away money. So if for this kind of reversal, there's got to be something quite bad happening in the Tories, isn't there? Like, it's um, it's quite shocking. I mean, Keir Starmer's energy policy seems to have gone down very well. Am I right in thinking that? In- including with Conservative voters, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> to be fair, the Conservatives don't seem to have any energy policy. So maybe it's just the fact that Labour have been vocal on what they actually want to do, whereas the Conservatives are just having a massive fight with each other. No one really knows what they want to do. So perhaps it's a kind of, you know, a lack of clarity from the Tories. I think that's right. I think if you look, for instance, that uh, Labour's energy policy, even though it's been heavily criticised for some of the sums, at least there were sums. It, <laughs> there weren't sums with Sunak or Truss's plans. There are speculations about whether or not they'll do handouts and they've been delaying any decisions on that until one of them gets elected. So perhaps the seriousness that Keir Starmer's uh, addressed fears about uh, labour competence over the economy over the past two years is coming to the fore now, and I think they are seeing benefits from that. Do you think Rachel Reeves has had a massive impact? The the decline in 
Conservatives' lead on the economy kind of accelerated after May 2021 when she took over? Potentially. I think more broadly, you know, members of the public aren't that focused on individual uh, members of the shadow cabinet. But I do think that the focus on trying to come across as more moderate, less radical. I think Ben wrote a great piece this week charting this out, how now the Conservatives are seen as more extreme and Labour is seen as more moderate. It's more of those broad measurements that sort of translate onto economic policy. You know, people saw Corbyn as a radical when it came to economics. They didn't get down so much into the detail of it. It just seemed like too much. And I think addressing that perception has been one of the the strengths of uh, Labour's economic policy. Well, I think we should sort of move on now to look at the the transport strikes we're recording. And it's Thursday, so it's the start of another three days of disruption because of this this ongoing dispute over pay. Um, Emma, do you think support for the strikes is is still is still fairly high or are there frustrations from businesses now? I'm not hearing the frustrations that I normally feel like I would. I mean, you'll always get the people on Twitter that are like, for God's sake, and I've got to say, I could really do with being able to get into London tomorrow for a medical (laughs) appointment. And it turns out that there's no trains going until 10am, so I'm going to miss my appointment. So, you know, there is frustration, but I think broadly, and maybe it's my little echo chamber, there's definitely that, but Broadly, I think there is more sympathy for those on strike than usually there would be. How much do you think you can put that down to sort of people are used to working from home, so they're kind of, you know, yeah. they're, they're they're more adaptable now? Yeah, I, I definitely think that that's a factor. And, you know, when somebody said that there was going to be strikes today, like normally I come into the NS office on a Thursday, I live out all the way out in Kent. I just went, eh, okay, fine, I'll just work from home that day. Obviously, there's a huge number of people who don't work in an office who are massively reliant on public transport but you know even when there were strikes before we all used to work in offices I do remember just being like oh, I'll get the bus then you know people do find a way around it often we've just had a massive pandemic where we've watched all these people work and kind of put their lives on the line and put their families on the line and they haven't had good good pay rises and I think a huge amount a bigger proportion of the UK population than you'd think are actually quite sympathetic with them yeah, I think that's what I'm picking up as well. So I don't think it's just mm. your echo chamber, but it's interesting that we're not hearing business leaders voicing any frustration at the minute. That's really interesting. Yeah. I wanted to ask Freddie about his fantastic interview with, with the RMT General Secretary, Mick Lynch. What, what did you make of his resolve in terms of the strike? Are they, do you think they're willing to stick it out for as long as, the, as, long as this takes? Yes, completely. I mean, he was quite coy about their negotiating position, as you'd expect. He wouldn't go into details about what they're asking. But I think just linking it back to the inflation figures we've had this week, they're predicting now that inflation is going to stay this high until or around this high until September 23 at least. So we are going to see greater demands for pay rises across the board. And that in terms of industrial policy just means that we're going to get uh, more and more strikes. I don't think this problem is going to go away, whether it's the RMT, uh, nurses, postmen or others. Hi, it's Anoush here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to The New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back. From The New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads. The best of our reported features and essays read aloud. Featuring writing from our authors, including Edward Docks on the death of Boris the Clown, 
When did the booing start? He was never exactly sure. A year inside GB News with Stuart McGurk. One presenter told me that producers had taken to booking their own parents. May Robson on why women's football is the more beautiful game. Like most of the England squad, the Euro 2022 captain Leah Williamson can't afford not to have a plan B. Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads from the New Statesman wherever you get your podcasts. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Now it's time for a section we call You Ask Us. You Ask Us. Great. So we have a question from one of our, our listeners this week about Liz Truss. Will the leaked recording of Liz Truss saying that British workers needed more graft and lacked the skill and application of foreign rivals like the Chinese damage her chances to be the next prime minister? So this was a, a leaked recording published in in The Guardian. Um, it goes back to her time as chief secretary of the, of the Treasury. And the response of some of her allies has been to say that she was talking about productivity. But she did kind of say that it was about British workers working culture. Freddie, what do you think? Well, I think a straight no <laughs> uh, to whether it's going to harm her chances. I think she's she's quite, you know, she's doing quite well and I don't think Tory voters will be that disgruntled with her comments. Um, I think I think it's a fair point. I mean, ultimately it was about productivity if you listen to the whole thing and working culture is about productivity, but it just speaks to the fact that she's unwilling to engage, engage with the real reasons that we've got a productivity crisis in this country as she is completely unwilling to engage with the underlying inflation that we have it it just speaks to the fact that she is very happy to come out with quite controversial or seemingly blunt sound bites without actually engaging for the real reason that we have a productivity crisis or the real reason that we have inflation i think it seems like the conversation was about productivity but it did feel like a bit of a trope to kind of say oh yeah. well you know people just need to work a bit harder it's don't quite they? basic isn't it yeah it's not um, as sophisticated <laughs> to just like think of something a bit smarter to say like we yeah as freddie mentions we have a massive productivity crisis in this country and we have done since the last financial crisis and no one's really been able to put their finger on why it is but you know it's things like we have well, stagnant real wages and have for ages. Now we're having like record falls in real wages, lack of investment in companies and increase increase in the amount of part-time or temporary work, like the gig economy, essentially. All kinds of stuff. But we work among the longest hours in Europe. People in the UK say there's a there's a lot of things wrong with us, but we're not actually that half assed. So like <laughs> and it really speaks to a very certain group of people who might be the people that are voting in the Tory leadership election. It's a very, very small group of people. The rest of us are slogging our guts out. Yeah, I think Freddie's right, though. I don't think it will damage her chances no. when the Conservative Party leadership no. race. But I think you saw 
Kit Malthouse come out and kind of double down on it a day later on, on LBC and kind of say, you know, well, we could all do more, couldn't we? <laughs> and I think that's oh. kind of tickling the chins I mean, of Conservative Party membership, who, who, really who, who Freddie's exactly right in saying don't necessarily want to engage with the real issues and seem like they'd yeah. prefer just the easy answers at the minute. Yeah, I mean, what it is, it's, it's, it's shifting the blame again away from the government who's been in power now for 12 years and who has, has control of our economy and could have, for instance, encouraged more investment and shifting it onto, onto workers. And I don't think... I mean, it's one of all, as we've spoken about, it's not fair and it's not right. Um, it's just inaccurate. So, I, yeah, I mean, it won't it won't become a scandal because it's I think it's been quite clear for a long time that Liz Trust takes these positions. But interestingly, I think they might they might have to change. I was rewatching Kwasi Kwarteng's appearance for the Foreign Select Committee the other day. And he anyway, he was Nerd alert. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is an insight into my uh, Thursday evenings. But, and he was talking about how his position on China and free trade has changed. And he's, he used to be much more of a free marketeer when it came to free trade. And he would have said, for instance, about the semiconductor plant in South Wales, which he's currently looking at and whether a Chinese company can take over. In the past, he would have said, yeah, completely, I would have let it go ahead. But now, given the national security concerns we have about semi- semiconductors and the the willingness or the desire for the CCP to expand their semiconductor capacity, he's going to take a different look at that. So there is a shift, you know, Kwasi Kwarteng, a key ally of Liz Truss, both of them coming from a very free market, libertarian background. Are those views going to be challenged in the next three or four years as globalisation, free trade, Brexit all come to the fore? So just to, just to take a small quote from Liz Truss and make it into a, a, a big point about ideology. <laughs> she, she's saying this now and, you know, the people she needs to vote for her are... I think probably it's fair to say largely retired, right? There are a very certain group of people. But then if she wins this, she has to stand in a general election. And she's just accused everyone in the UK of being lazy. Like, it's such a short-termist way of approaching this. Like, she's not thinking past the next obstacle. Yeah, (laughs) on that note, (laughs) Um, I'd just like to thank everyone for joining us today. If you've got a question for You Ask Us, email podcasts at newstatesman.co.uk. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Rachel Learmouth, and my colleagues Emma Hazlitt and Freddie Hayward. Our producer has been Mayor Robson and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave us a nice review. Thanks for listening. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.